Welcome to the GM's Corner, a Brewster Baseball Association podcast where we put general managers on the hot seat, steal all of their secrets, and then edit those secrets out so that only I, Ron Collins, the general manager of the Yellow Springs Nine, can use them to win even more. Today I have caught, uh, I guess I'll I'll say I've caught lightning in a bottle today because I have the pleasure of having longtime Seattle Storm General Manager Nathan Egan here to join me. Uh, One of the blue blood general managers of the league, Nathan, um, thank you so much for your time. I'm really excited to get a chance to, to talk with you today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Well, you've been here if the uh, if the BBA records are correct, which is always suspect, but if the BBA records are are correct, you've been here since uh, 2011, which kind of slots you in right after I think Mike Calvaruso and right before Aaron Weiner. So that gives people an idea of of the kind of uh, gravitas you have around the league. When you look back about you know how it felt to come into the BBA. Uh, can you give us a flavor for how it felt then? And maybe um, given how the world has changed, do you would you consider it to be different for people coming in now? Oh, good question. Um, so when I came in, I definitely was kind of, I think this was, I'm pretty sure it had been, it was my first uh, OOTP online league and it still is. Uh, but I, I guess I've been in others in the interim, but it definitely there was some, you know, some questions about what it was. It, I was worried that there would be a, a really steep learning curve, uh, but everybody was really welcoming, was great, uh, and it wasn't as steep of a learning curve as I'd been worried about. I think I found it actually by looking on. I found it through maybe the OODP, uh the forum, and I found it that way, and it just seemed that there were a bunch of glowing testimonials about it, and so I kind of put my name in the ring. And I think that was also, it was in the summer of, I think 2013. Yeah. That was when, you know, what, when the league year was actually before the, uh, the calendar year. Uh, so I, I think that was the first time I actually I purchased the game and I figured it would be a good idea to join an online league, found this one and took to it well. And I've been enjoying it ever since. Um, as for differences now, definitely, you know, having a podcast, that kind of thing, uh, personally, you know, for my, I was in law school at the time. Now I'm, you know, I have a job, so definitely busier now. Probably I'm not able to produce as much content as I had before, but it's still, it's fun to see just all the different stuff that all the different league members create. It seems like we have a really great blend of, of owners now that are really into the league, which I enjoy. Now, you said that you, uh, at different times, you have been in other leagues and obviously let them, uh, go by the wayside. Um, why? Why those leagues going by the wayside? Why not the BBA? I think honestly, it was more that just it was never any like big leagues that I joined. It was more I think that they didn't have a commissioner like Matt that was just as committed to the league, which is something that is what makes this league so great. Is you can, you know, pretty much set your watch to having however many scheduled sims there are, and that you know that there's something really wrong if it doesn't happen. Um, but I think a lot of other times in other leagues, you'll find that just people, uh, you know, it seems to them at the time like it might be a good idea to start a league. And it is, I guess, but it doesn't. They, I guess they don't realize the actual time commitment and that it would entail. And so leagues kind of have a way of falling apart on their own, I guess, if there's not 
strong leadership there, which is obviously not the case here. Yeah, Matt is a national treasure as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yes, I would agree. <laughs> Um, you took over at the time when you came in and took over the reins in Seattle. You, it was a, f a pretty successful franchise. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, looking through history, it seems to me like Nathan Egan has never really had a bad run. You occasionally, uh, will drop, a you know, Seattle, the Seattle uh, storm will occasionally drop a, uh, a cruddy season here or there. Uh, but it seems like you really don't have an ebb and a flow so much as you're pretty consistently, um, you know, competitive. Why do you think that is? Is that something about the way you go go about developing your team, or you know, what's the what's the secret sauce there? That's a good question. I mean, I think perhaps to my detriment, I've definitely had some bad years. I'll say that, but I think I've never kind of gone for the full-on tear-down rebuild that a lot of other GMs have, and which I think might also have the impact of not having... It's harder to get, you know, star players that way a lot of times. But I, I think also just... There have been a couple of times where I've, to be honest, just kind of lucked into some of my better players were very young at the time. So then it, at which point it became kind of hard to justify doing a complete tear-down when I had a really good core in place. So I think that's a, a pretty big... At a high level, that's kind of why you you won't see any sort of really bad years. With I mean, a couple exceptions. I've had some down years, obviously, but I've never never gone to really try and do a full scale rebuild because I just it's never seemed like it's really been the time for it. When I always had, I mean, especially with I had Juan Escobar and Jorge Rodriguez together for a long time. Um, they were both young and very talented, and even more recently, I've just had. And when I came in, it was also with the storm. It was a, a very, very competitive team right away as well. So I know a lot of people when they first take over a team, their first instinct is to kind of tear it down and put their own stamp on it, which makes a lot of sense. And I think might be something I would do in a hypothetical scenario where I got where I was starting from scratch. But I never it never seemed like it made sense to me to do that with the way my team was. So it's kind of gone from there. So you're saying never the secret really. sauce is just put two Hall of Famers in your lineup day in and day out and things will work out? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, it's, I think that's a big part of it, right? <laughs> that That is a life hack. Is to, it really helps your team have a good record if you can do that for, you know, 10 years and have yeah. them, yeah, hitting three, four. No, there you go. In all, in all seriousness, though, uh, you know, your response is interesting in that sense because, um, yes, you've had an occasional 68 or 70 win season, but mm -hmm. you generally don't uh, don't drop too far. Looking at your team today, if I look at Seattle, um, you know, what is what is your take on the storm today? I see a lot of similarities to what you're saying there. I'm interested to hear your perspective. Um, you seem like you have a ball club of some pretty good players, um, not too much age, mm -hmm. uh, not super young, but not too much age. You're sitting at 32 and 41 in a... Um, in a division that is not as competitive as it has been in the past, I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, where are you seeing the Seattle Storm sitting right now, and what do you what, what's your take on Seattle today? That's a good question. Um, so I guess you know some exasperation certainly with the way the season's been going so far, as you mentioned. You know, a team is generally pretty young. I had going into the season a lot of optimism about a lot of the younger players who were like fantastic 
or a varying degrees were quite good for me last year. And I thought that they would kind of continue to grow and progress. Um, and for a lot of them, that has not really been the case. I think as of now, I only, I don't even know if any of my starters actually have an OPS plus over a hundred, which is not something I would have expected going in. Um, and, you know, on the beyond really just kind of blowing everything up, it's, I'm not really sure exactly what the solution is right now, other than hoping that, you know, maybe there's some bad luck in play, some bad luck, and just kind of hoping that these things end up reversing themselves uh, in the lineup side. As for pitching, um, obviously Ken Walter getting hurt has really taken a bit of a hammer to his career, unfortunately, but they're still younger. Um, I still have some hope, and with the bullpen, I thought would be better than it was based on their performances last year as well. So it's tough to give a, a real definitive answer of where things stand other than kind of frustration and feeling like perhaps there could be some sort of comeback. I think the team will probably play better in the second half just through normal regression. I think um, Todd Rush just got hurt, which is unfortunate for him, but I think we'll probably end up calling up Alexander Julian, our top prospect, who's been in toiling in the minors for a while, and we'll see if he can do anything. Uh, and then we'll go from there, and hopefully at least we can have you know some pieces to build off of, if not the season, the next season, since I don't think we have too many key players who will not be on the team next year. Yeah, I was definitely interested to hear your take on um, on the Rice injury and Julian. Um, it feels to me like you're between a rock and a hard place there with Julian, because it feels like uh, given his uh, development rate you'd almost like to see him spend the whole year down uh in triple a but he's performing well enough and you mm -hmm. have a have a need um how much does the fact that the pacific is in such turmoil right this minute play into that conversation um you know i've been in the league for a long time so i generally try and take kind of the longer view on these things so the decision will not be made just because of the fact that the Pacific is in a bit of turmoil. I think it's honestly more of the fact that it's he's Julian's 23 and it seems like maybe promoting him might be helpful to his development could be a jump start since it doesn't seem like him kind of languishing in AAA has been that helpful uh, for him developing as well. But as you know, he is performing down there. Um, but yeah, I try not to do too much in the way of real of short-term moves that are kind of major seismic uh, transition. So it's the goal is just to figure out what is best for his development to the extent that that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I like actually your comment about the idea that it might jumpstart because um, uh, Matt and I had some conversations on a podcast at one point um, about the idea of promoting guys up and down the ranks and, you know, from triple A to the, to the majors is, um, is a promotional uh, jump just like anything else. And occasionally we will take somebody who is languishing and, and jump them up just because, you know, you, you want to do something. <laughs> right. Just kind of, you um, don't want to keep stagnating. Maybe I, that'll I don't know jump start. Yeah. I don't know if that's the human nature of just the need, you know, the action oriented viewpoint of a human being who decides they want to do something, whether it's smart or not. I don't know. What is your, uh, as you move people through the, organization um, and that decision to move into the majors, 
Um, I mean, how do you view prospect promotion? You've got, uh, beyond Julian, you've got uh, Yasser bin Lutfi, I think mm-hmm. that's his name, uh, starting pitcher. looks like he's about ready. You've got a young third base prospect in Alejandro Cordova, who is um, in AAA and looks to need a little bit more development. Uh, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's my take on it. What? How, yeah. how, do you, how do you look at the decision to move somebody through the ranks lower than the majors and then does that change any at all when it comes to your need to put them into the major leagues? So I guess it's kind of similar in the sense that I generally try and just focus on the player and whether it seems like they're ready for whatever that next level is. I try not to rush. I Generally speaking, I guess my goal is that if I'm going to promote the player to the majors that the they're not going to go back down anytime soon, that they're going up to stay up I think is what the general goal is. And that they'll be playing regularly. Otherwise, I'd rather just keep them in AAA to develop. Um, How much do you look at stats versus ratings versus... Uh, it's kind of a mix, I think. Although, it would be pretty rare, I think, for me to promote somebody that is just has really bad stats, no matter what the ratings are, at, especially at AAA, if they're not producing at all in a big enough sample, then I'm not going to call them up, I don't think. And how do you feel from a development standpoint... Um, do you feel like you have ever stifled somebody by not moving them up quickly enough or or vice um, versa? Nothing that jumps to mind, I don't think. I think I'm generally pretty aggressive pretty aggressive with the promotions with people that are performing well in AAA. Um, yeah, I don't nothing that jumps to mind is I mean there have been players I'm sure that I've traded that kind of did well elsewhere that I had a feeling would do well elsewhere if I traded them, but at the time, I thought it was kind of necessary to trade them, but I don't think I have anything that really sticks out as kind of languishing in AAA and ending up, uh, you know, hurting their development long term. Uh, And as far as moving players uh, from from AAA to the majors, you just talked about Julian, that maybe that'll be a jump start, but clearly I don't think you were going to be moving him up into the majors if Rice had not been hurt. Yeah, I don't think so. At least not not now. So let's let's play the what if game. Let's say mm-hmm. Rice is still playing. Um, how would you be looking at Julian as far as um, is any other reason to promote him? And what type of time frame did you have in mind? I think I was probably looking for probably by the end of this year, just because he's twenty three. Um, and I believe next year is his last option year. So I thought it would be good. And he, since he's already on the minor league contract, um, since he's on the 40-man roster, there's not a real consideration there not to do it. Um, and I'd been having him at AAA play the corner outfield spots as well just to try and enhance his versatility so he could step into the majors uh, you know, as needed. But I think he definitely would have been up at some point this season, um, even if Todd Rice didn't get injured. I think that probably makes sense, and I like what you're talking about. I like the fact that you've rotated. I assume he came into the league as a center fielder and was playing yeah. fully center field mm-hmm. uh, with those with that nine eleven nine uh, outfield uh, ratings. Um, you know, the bottom line there is if you do promote him and he does not jumpstart, right? If he if he regresses down and his potentials come to his ratings rather than vice versa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the worst case there is that you've got a really, really good kind of fourth outfielder defensive uh, superstar, right? Right. Uh, Absolutely. So the there's a this the the uh, bottom end of the curve is 
is still a pretty useful player, although mm-hmm. obviously <laughs> if he doesn't grow into the kind of kind of guy that you had hopes and dreams of, it will still be a bit of a <laughs> It would be a bitter pill, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um since we're on the topic of moving players around, let's go the level deeper uh, into the international complex. Uh, you've got a uh, a uh, interesting prospect there in the international complex, uh, Victor Martinez, and a couple other guys that are kind of borderlines. Um, how do you look at the international complex? Um, when do you decide to move somebody out of out of there? Do you put them straight into rookie? Do you put them into short A? What's your um, I will generally put them in short. Uh, yeah, I'll pro- that's my general approach if they are, you know, at all developed. I think obviously with Victor Martinez, he's not there yet. Just he has the, the two uh, and the one control. I think he would just be brutal if he was still playing in organized baseball. But I just try and check them, you know, periodically, see how they're doing. If the development is at all comparable to, you know, for instance, the draftees um, that go in and play in short season, then I will probably try and promote them uh i don't know if there's any kind of data on this or at least i haven't looked into it but it feels to me like there's probably better for the his develop for their development if they're playing you know playing every day and in, in the stateside leagues or in the winter leagues um once they have the ability to do that yeah i think um i haven't actually ever seen any real data one way or the other i think there is definitely a uh strong um sensation urban legend kind of framework that says the earlier you can get them out of the IC in a comfortable mm-hmm. way, the better. Yeah. Um, and especially if you want them to learn other positions as well, right? They can't really do that. Yeah. It's, I see. It's hard to do that. As far as I can tell, it's hard to do position learning inside the IC, but quite honestly, mm-hmm. it's a big black box to me. So that's uh, why it struck me to ask you that question too. Usually I focus, uh, all of my brain is focused on the, <laughs> on the uh, organization above the international complex, but uh, mm-hmm. um, the, uh, it is, I, I generally play a little game here, a little lightning round game with everyone who comes onto the GM corner. So I'm going to do that same thing with you here. I've got a collection of four or five, uh, okay. uh, semi quick questions and sometimes they're quick and sometimes they're meandering. So the lightning round is perhaps a little bit of a misnomer, but I've got the Seattle storm GM here. So the lightning round ought to really mm-hmm. strike good. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, if you could have one player to put on your team right now, who would it be? Whew, um, that is a good question. Just of anybody in the league? Anybody uh, in the league? I really like, I from your team, Dong Po Thumb is pretty good. I, I wouldn't mind having him. Yeah, he's not available. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, didn't think he would be. But if you change your mind, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, real life sports team. Um, I am a Mets fan, Mets and Jets fans. There you go, Mets and Jets fan. I, I would have to assume that from your forum um, um, name, NJ Heard fan, that there is a element of uh, of that in there also. Uh, absolutely. So it's a funny story. The Growing up, I just became kind of randomly a uh, big fan of the Marshall University Thundering Herd football team. and But I was also from New Jersey, so I always assumed that there were not a lot of people like me. I was probably the only one. And so that has just kind of been a generic screen name that I've used on a lot of different websites. That's interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. That is definitely interesting. Uh, Marshall Thundering Herd, I have to I have to agree that there's probably not too many people in your air, neck of the wood that are big. I, uh, I Marshall would Thundering say Herd that there are, yeah, probably zero at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Why did that come about? What What is it about Marshall Thundering Herd? I, just, that I think you? it was, I saw them on TV when I at a kind of a young age, and they were in the 1AA National Championship, and, they, uh, and Randy Moss was on the team, and he just kind of dominated. And I was like, oh, this is... This is fun to watch, and they just kind of stuck with them from there. Uh, yeah, I, I was, I think, maybe seven watching them play, and it was, yeah, pretty Alrighty. cool. Uh, give me, I'm going to give you, ask you for three favorite memories, then. Your favorite Mets memory. Oh, man, there are so many painful ones. Uh, probably, I would say, going to the World Series in 2015, winning the NLCS would be my favorite. Alrighty. how about your favorite Jets memory? Mm, uh, the in the playoffs in 2010 when they beat the Patriots on the road to go to the AFC Championship, but then lost the next week. Yeah, if you beat the Patriots, that counts for it was like still good. Yeah, times more things mm-hmm. still right. That's that probably probably works out uh, about even even Stephen. I think so. Uh, favorite BBA memory. I I made the finals a few years, well, more than a few years ago, I guess. So making the, making the finals, and then I lost to Baltimore, but still making it was probably my favorite BBA memory. <laughs> yes, yes, thirteen times. If, if my if my math is right and my ability to count is right, you are like my favorite team ever because you've been in the postseason thirteen times, as far as I can tell. Um, and and not brung home brung home a Landis, which makes me feel yeah. like like we're compatriots in in, uh, <laughs> in that in yeah. uh, in our misery there as far as that goes. So thank you, mm-hmm. uh, thank you're you very, very welcome. I, I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, have you ever considered leaving the BBA in all this time? And uh, if so, why? No, I don't think so. I've always enjoyed it. I mean, there have been times where I guess with work and other life stuff, it's been tougher to get all of, you know, the activity stuff done, the required, um, you know, the required tasks, which obviously they're there for a reason. I know I need to do them, but it's, it's more like, Oh, I need to get this done, but I've never wanted to leave the league. No, it's, I've always really didn't really enjoyed it. And it's always been a positive value add to me, I think. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I think, uh, looking back on your, um, on your time, you know, I, I do all the participation point counting and all that mm-hmm. other uh, mumbo jumbo and in the process of putting together my uh, um, my historical tracker and different things like that, because, you know, I'm insanely weird that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to see, especially for, you know, you guys who have been around for a really long time uh, to see the ebb and flow of different times that different people have had the time in their, I assume it's a life oriented thing as well as a motivation thing, right? That there's yeah. been certain times where you've been very active and other times where you've been uh, much more quiet. Um, and I, I just think that's a natural ebb and flow of pretty much everyone. <laughs> right. But I yeah, was definitely I so interested, too. you know, you've been, you've been here for uh, getting close to 10, um, uh, ten real life years, I guess, or eight or nine real life years. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good long, a long span. So it is. I've been doing it longer than I've been doing All right, a lot so, of other things. So the last lightning round question: um, When will Seattle fans actually see the GM raise his first Landis Memorial Trophy? 
That is a good question. Uh, let's let's set a goal for 2044. Ooh, 2044. You heard it here first. Yes, all you did. You, all sure. you Pacific Division uh, compatriots, 2044 is the year of the storm. Yes, that's the uh, that's the answer. So you have survived this highly intense and um, intrusive lightning round. <laughs> I- <laughs> Um, it is uh, somewhat traditional when I do these that I give you the opportunity if you have anything that you would like to ask me or ask me to talk about or if you want to kind of take over the the reins or conversation um, and put me on the hot spot, I'm more than happy to answer any questions or talk about whatever. Um, or we can just move right on and, and go toward the intro. Uh, yeah, I, I... No, no questions for me, really. Uh, I appreciate you doing this. Take it. It's good. It's a it's a nice feature, I think, in the league. I don't think there are too many online leagues that have podcasts about the league, which it's it's, it's nice to have. Yeah, I think that's um, the the gang that we have here. Uh, I guess that's a question that I'll come around to. Uh, from a you've you've been through a series of general managers, uh, you know, eras, different groups of guys and mm-hmm. you know there's i'm sure there's different flavor every league has a its flavor that's based on the culture of the people who are in the league right which means that the bba has probably changed its culture um you know molted its skin three or four times during the time you've been here but one of the things that i really love about this group is uh it is so um um multimedia creative you know i mean you've got a few guys i think jeffrey did a video or two for his team newses and you've got mike simon doing a bunch of graphic design these days and revamping people's logos and yeah got a collection of three or four of us doing podcasts and of course there's always the writing and joe is doing these really interesting i'll call them analytical pieces that are uh, you know the 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 ballpark um uh, tournament that Joe is mm-hmm. doing. I, I don't, those are the kinds of things that you don't see anywhere else. Uh, how have you felt the BBA culture change through the years? Am I right in thinking that there have been kind of multiple eras or? I think so. I think, um, yeah, no, I think that's a fair thing to say. Uh, one thing, I don't know if I would, I'd say it's a specific era kind of thing, but it definitely in the that now it seems that there is it seems that there are people there aren't really anybody, at least that I see, that seems like really adversarial, whereas in the past, occasionally there would be people in the league that just seemed kind of disagreeable about things. And I think that the fact that there aren't any uh, is a nice touch, um, but also. Yeah, just all of the, as you kind of mentioned, the more analytical stuff, which is much appreciated by me. It kind of makes sense that these things would exist, uh, you know, in a league of people that own a, oh, you know, a baseball simulation program, obviously. Um, but seeing people kind of really dive into it and some of the articles, the more nitty gritty stuff about kind of trying to use that analytical framework to analyze a league is a nice touch. That's pretty new. You mentioned earlier on you'd gone to been in law school when you uh, first came into the league, and now you've mm-hmm. gone and you're a, uh, I assume a professional lawyer, and I am, yes, and all of that good stuff. Um, you know how uh, how has uh, the league has to fit into everyone's life in different ways? How has the, the league's fit into your life changed? Uh, how does it fit right now? Uh, what do your family and friends think about your 
um, uh, your little hobby here, whatever <laughs> you want to call it? Um, um, the, the friends don't know, I would say not, aren't too aware of it really. I've tried to explain it at a high level. Uh, it's, it's kind of difficult to explain, I think, if people don't, <laughs> don't understand it at it's all. It's kind of like uh, trying to describe somebody's Dungeons and Dragons campaign to somebody who I, I think play. that, yeah, I think there's probably a lot of that there. Um, yeah, same with my family. Um, but how does it fit in? You know, I just try and check in when I get home. If I have a couple minutes at work, I'll try and pop in as well. Um, but it's definitely something nice to know that it's kind of always there. It's kind of ties in earlier. I mentioned with Matt, just, you know, knowing how reliable he is with The Sims. It's nice to know that it's kind of always happening and that I always have something to check on. Uh, I guess it's kind of taken on a little bit of a different angle now that there's no real sports happening. So I might be checking a little bit more, um, even as I'm busy with work, just to kind of see how my pretend team is doing. Well, maybe uh, that's actually a good segue. I think um, I think I'll lead towards an end here. Let me ask you, uh, going out, um, you know, what are your hopes for the BBA going into the future, or what are your what thoughts would you like to leave for the GMs and Matt in particular um, uh, about how 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 you see the future going? Um, well, just I hope that it continues, you know, in the same path that it's been on. Uh, just general appreciation for how well run of a league it is, I guess, would be the overarching thing that I would want to leave off and just how much I appreciate all the GMs in the league. There's, obviously, you need a, a great commissioner as well, but the league is also only as strong as all of its GMs, and I think they're all fantastic to the activity in a league. is. I think it's just about as high as it's ever been that I've seen, so I certainly appreciate that. The Brewster Baseball Association is an out-of-the-park baseball league commissioned by Mr. America himself, Matt Rechtenwald, and competed in by an amazing group of outstanding general managers. Check us out at MontyBrewster.net. You have been listening to The GM's Corner, a podcast where we put BBA GMs on the hot seat. Music is Cool Piano by Tigerius and is used under Creative Commons Attribution License. See you next time. Until then, have fun, be safe, and always remember that even a boring team news is worth two points. <laughs>